Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, all right, we're here at the Standard Times editorial board with um, uh, some of the remaining candidates for ward counselor who weren't able to come to our morning meeting. So we have scheduled an afternoon meeting. We have uh, two candidates for Ward 5, Paul Chase and Scott Lima, and one remaining candidate for Ward 4, Jojo Forts. We also invited Edwin Cartagena uh, from Ward 2, uh, and um, I'm not sure if he's able to attend, but he's not here now. So I'm Jack Spillane. I'm the editorial page editor of the Standard Times. And with me is the managing editor for online services, Andy Tomalonis, and Yvonne Drayton, a member of the Standard Times editorial boards. We're going to ask each of the candidates to make an opening statement for three minutes and ask you to limit yourself to three minutes so everybody can have time to answer. And then we have a series of questions that we've asked all the candidates. Some of the questions are based on our um, uh, earlier surveys of the candidates where they only had 50 words to answer. Some of the candidates felt that there were it was hard to express themselves fully in 50 words, so you'll have a little more time today, three minutes apiece, when you're called upon. I'll start uh, at one end, and then we'll, we'll give different people a chance to go first as we go down the line. So for opening statements, we'll start with Paul Chase, our candidate for Ward 5 Counselor. Okay, thank you, and uh, thank you for having us here today. Uh, my name is Paul Chase. I am married and father of two, um, one child still being in the Bedford Public School System. I'm a 43-year resident of New Bedford, and currently I work as the CEO for the Realtor Association of Southeastern Massachusetts. Uh, for those that are not familiar with the Realtor Association is, we're basically the Chamber of Commerce for real estate agents and brokers. Uh, aside from that, I am also, um, the, uh, I'm also a member of the Massachusetts Association of Realtors Government Affairs Committee. I serve on the National Association of Realtors Federal Financing and Housing Policy Committee. Uh, locally, I am the chairman of the Realtor Boston Coalition. Uh, I also am a member of the uh, Chamber of Commerce's Government Affairs Committee, and I'm a member of the South Coast Development Partnership. And the reason why I bring up the, uh, the various committees in addition to my full-time job is because uh, I just wanted there to be an understanding that I have over 20 years of advocacy experience in several areas such as private property rights um, and economic development, commuter rail. Uh, I meet annually with uh, congressional leaders in Washington, D.C. Uh, I meet many times a year with local and state uh, leaders, state leaders uh, at Beacon Hill, and I've testified many, many times at the State House. So I do, I do come from an advocacy background. Um, the reason why I'm running, I'm running for, for a few reasons, and um, it's reasons that the residents of New Bedford are deeply passionate about. One is property taxes and the tax burden that we have and the need for more economic development growth in order to broaden that tax base. Uh, number two is to ensure safer neighborhoods. Um, I do have some um, comments on um, safe neighborhoods and, and how maybe we can move beyond where we are right now. And number three, basically, uh, just as important as anything for a ward counselor, 
I am here to represent Ward 5, and my number one priority will be Ward 5. So, uh, in general, I just I ask for your support. <coughs> if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can certainly find us online at www.paulchase.com, or you can see how the campaign's been going for the last six months by going on Facebook, and that's Paul Chase Ward 5. And I ask you for your vote November 7th. Thank you. Okay, Paul, I just want to make sure that everybody speaks up. I heard you fairly clearly, but one of the posters here says he's having a hard time hearing us. Okay. So make sure when you speak, you speak nice and clearly and, and loud enough so we can be heard on Facebook. Okay. Okay. Sometimes the audio on Facebook Live is because you're not mic not as loud, so you really want to speak loud so you can project. Okay. Uh, the next candidate for Ward 5 is Scott Lima. Uh, you have three minutes, Scott. Thank you. Uh, again, my name is Scott Lima. I'm a candidate for... Council Board 5, I want to thank the editorial board for having me here today. Thank Paul, and I also want to thank Jojo Forts. I'm running for Council Board 5 because I've lived in the city for 40 years. I've lived in New Bedford for 40 years. I spent 10 years living in Boston, five years living in Chicago. So I'm very much aware of uh, you know, living in an urban environment. And one of my concerns here is crime. Crime is the number one issue that I'm running on here in, in New Bedford. Um, crime is very expensive. So when we start talking about economic development, taxes, property taxes, things like that, our school system, I believe we have to look at crime first. Crime is very, very expensive. I am a substitute teacher. I see how crime affects students. I see uh, what's going on in the school system. And so again, that's the number one issue that I'm running on. I, um, you know, I'm 55 years old. I have a, a son who uh, attends school here in, uh, in New Bedford. I am also a realtor. And again, I work in the, uh, the public school system. I, I want to be the voice for folks in Ward 5. I also want to represent folks from the city. I've gone to hundreds and hundreds of homes in the city with my door knockers, visiting folks and listening to their concerns. And one of the things that I hear about is crime. People are concerned. I talked to a lot of people in Ward 5. I think back in the springtime, there were a ton of cars that were keyed on, on Brigham Street. That's very, very costly to people, and people are very fed up with it. So that's the number one issue that I'm running on. Uh, secondly, economic development is very important. We need to be a business-friendly city. Um, no one's going to come here and do business unless we, unless we have a business-friendly environment. So what we need to do is we need to work with the mayor together as a city council to make sure that we put this city first. We need to look at things like our waterfront. We have a waterfront right here with number one in the nation in terms of dollar catch. And we really need to um, take the waterfront uh, South Coast Rail, if that's something that we can get going soon enough, and as we have a good highway infrastructure system, put all those things together, and I believe economic development is something that we really take off in this city. Education, again, I'm in the public school system, and while the school schools may be doing a little bit better, and we've come off the state monitoring, if we, will, if, if we will, I'm there every day. I see what's happening, and there are some very, very, very serious discipline problems in our school system. That filters throughout, the, um, throughout our community. And again, crime. So what we need to do is really need to take care of crime. That's going to help with the education system. That will then help with property taxes, economic development, and things such as that. Uh, during the preliminary um, uh, election, I received more votes than any other ward candidate in the city. I received 462 votes. That, again, is a result of going door to door, talking to people, talking about the burdens that they have. So I ask for people's vote on November 7th, 
And, um, and I'll get out there and work just as hard as I have every day going door to door. Thank you, Scott. And next we have former Ward 4 Counselor Jojo Forts. Uh, three minutes, Jojo. Good afternoon. I'd like to thank the panel for having us here, and also I'd like to thank the two Ward 4 uh, individuals. I'm running because I care about the city, and I'm running about constituent service. I can rest assured that you'll receive the best service you can from this Ward 4 Counselor person the council that you currently have. I am running for Ward 4 to bring leadership integrity and honest caring for New Bedford and Ward 4 to make this city the best it could be as a showcase. I needed to show that I have a heart for the community and that I have the skills to fight for the vast needs that the city has. I've been a resident of the city all my life. I've been a resident with high visibility, enthusiasm, advocating empowerment and enforcing positive action in our community. I care about the elderly, the veterans, the everyday service that you should be getting from your counselor. I feel as though that we need to work in areas of crime. Very, very important. I've talked about each precinct. When you look at downtown, one of the largest areas and components of elderly housing is in the downtown area. When you look at the hotel, Regency, and Bedford Towers, and so on and so forth. Elderly are afraid to come downtown because of what's going on down there. We need to change that vision down there so that they can feel free to go out and do whatever business they have to do downtown or at the bank. I can tell you about in the Connie Academy area. Temple Landing, when you have meetings there about the neighborhood, when you have the present council who's not there, I will be there. I will be there to serve you to the best of my ability. When we talk about uh, Potter Street School, we will be addressing issues by the quick pick on Carter Street, crime and the drugs and the various other things that take place there. We will be addressing issues that take place at St. James, and throughout the ward, all six precincts, I plan to every month to be in one of those precincts and talking to people that I will be invisible to hear their concerns and needs. I have the experience and the energy to work, to be a good listener and address the needs that the individuals have in that ward. They call me the caring counselor, whether it be potholes, whether it be snow removal, catch basins, sidewalks, trees. I ride through the whole ward every two weeks to make sure that I know what's going on. I know that ward like the back of my hand. I can tell you street lights and sidewalks and streets that need repair because I care. I take this job very, very seriously and I will be there giving you the best, as I said to you, of my ability. Well, if you compare my record to the current council that you have, you're going to be thrown back by the attendance of this councilor. And I have the statistics here from City Hall. I will be bringing this forward very shortly and what she's getting paid for and not doing the job. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jojo. And now we'll go to the first question and we'll start with Scott Lima this time. Before we go, I'm going to move this up a little bit closer because people are still talking about uh, not being able to hear very well. So this just be very quick. 
Maybe even closer. So we've moved the, uh, the camera a little closer to the candidates, and hopefully that will help the audio for some of our, our live viewers. Uh, so the first question, uh, starting with um, Scott, uh, should the city adopt Mayor Mitchell's proposal to have the option of the state's group insurance commission rates as a way of controlling the cost of health insurance? Why or why not? Well, no. And I say no because this was a proposal that the mayor put forward and there was a city council vote of 10-0 not in favor of the proposal so while you know this proposal would help save a lot of money i think fall river saved over three million dollars taunton has saved a lot of money the gig is a bone is a, is a is a is a bona fide plan it, it's bona fide it's been around for a long time there are a lot of municipalities that participate in it but what i what what i, what I would need to find out as a city council is is what's going on there's something in the middle when the mayor proposes that we save over $3 million, and there are 10 city councilors who vote no, and I think Joe Lopes wasn't here, he wasn't in town, but if he was and he voted yes, it would have still been 10, 10 to 1 no. There's got to be something in the middle. And I've talked about this before, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if it's horse trading or what's going on. But saving over $3 million of the taxpayers' money will be a priority of mine. What I need to find out is, is what's going on. So again, if there is a 10 to 0 vote, not in favor of the mayor's proposal, and the vast majority of the residents in the city are calling for uh, cuts, then there's something in the middle. So the answer is no, but it's something that I want to look at and I want to find out what's going on. Because it's a great proposal, but when you vote 10 nothing, there's something in the middle. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Jojo, the same question. Should the city adopt Mayor John Mitchell's proposal to have the option of using the state insurance group commission rates when negotiating with the union as a way of controlling the cost of health insurance for city employees? Why or why not? Well, as I indicated in my questionnaire, I said I support it with great reservations. The reason being, as the speaker before me indicated, I want to know what's in the middle. I will, we know that health costs is rising constantly. And again, we want to make sure that people who are at risk are not dropped off from the plan. We want to make sure that we're giving the best health coverage to women, women who are pregnant, making sure that they're covered fully, they're getting all the prenatal care that they need. We want to make sure the elderly, uh, which we know is one of the reasons why, because the older the group is, the more times that they go to the doctors. So that has an increase. But I want to make sure it's the best coverage we can give our city employees and the best bang for our buck, both for the young and the old alike. I'm about saving dollars, and I'm about saving lives. I don't want to see a woman going and looking to have health care and, God forbid, loss of a child doing childbirth or something like that because we don't have the proper care given to that woman or the same situation of colon or prostate issues for a man. I want to make sure those issues are well covered and the young kids who are on the policy, the family members, are being protected. So I would need to look at this a little further and I would make sure that I will be a listening ear to all sides and make the proper decision. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. And the same question for Paul Chase. 
should the city adopt Mayor Mitchell's proposal to have the option of the state's group insurance commission rates while negotiating with the city unions as a way of controlling the cost of health insurance? Why or why not? Sure. So I'll preface this by saying that uh, my uh, opponent in Ward 5 had said that he wanted to see what's going on behind the scenes or, or what's happening. And I can tell you uh, from a vantage point of someone that has attended every single city council meeting since the campaign began, um, it is important to be there and to understand what's going on. And I have been there. And the, the point that people are making is, and it's a good point, is that public employees, you know, they're not exactly paid uh, well. They're, they're not, they don't have high pays. You know, we're, talk, we're not talking about upper management, we're, we're talking about the everyday employee, we're talking about the teachers uh, and folks like that. Uh, for that reason, what I would say, and I've continued to say is that I think as a responsible city councilor, you should be looking at every proposal up and down, back and forth and sideways. Uh, I'm not sure that in the end that this is something I would support, but it's certainly something that we have to consider like everything else because uh, we do have taxpayers that are, that are paying high taxes and they're, they're trying to find ways to save a little bit of money. I don't know that this is the way to do it, uh, but I do pledge to look at it a little bit further and if it were to make sense down the road, it's something that possibly could be passed, we would take a look at it. But I would say it'd have to be like an absolute last, uh, last possibility, only because of the, uh, the reasons that I stated earlier. Thank you very much, Paul. And the next question, we'll start with Jojo. Jojo, how important is the city's residency requirement with filling up a management position? Well, as you know, Chad, I sat on the city council, and I never, ever supported a waiver. I think this has gone out of control. If you believe in the city, you need to live in the city, especially in the upper management, making you know good salaries. I've always felt as though that there are individuals, as we know, consultants right now, also work for the city, other people who work in city departments, and they didn't live here. I could recall a colleague of mine, Councillor Kennedy, doing a study, and it was millions and millions of dollars walking away. I want everybody to live in the city. This way, you understand what it is when I get to the cash register at the grocery store, what it costs us to go past the register. When we don't have people living here, to me, I feel as though their whole heart's not in it. I'm in this because my whole heart's in this. I care about the direction the city's going. So you can expect from me, there will be no waivers, no waivers. And I think those waivers all should be looked at. Everybody who has a waiver right now should be reviewed. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. Uh, same question from Paul. Uh, how important is the city's residency requirement when filling upper management positions? Upper management, we're not talking about the rank and file. Sure. Sure. So what I'll say is that uh, it's always important to get the best person for the job. So that being said, if you have two qualified candidates, one being from the area, one being from outside the area, you should absolutely be picking the New Bedford resident every single time. Uh, if, if that is not the case and is someone coming from out of the area, then I think we need to allow them the time to be able to come in and settle in. I am um, not against residency waivers, uh, but I do feel that people in, in the higher level uh, positions uh, should be more vested in the city of New Bedford, absolutely. 
uh, but there are so many different areas that we need to look at. What about the person that uh, goes from a low level or mid-level to an upper level uh, position that is not in the city? Are we expecting them to move, if they're outside of the area, are we expecting them to move into the area just because we want to give them a promotion? Well, sometimes I think that we want to promote the best people and we don't want that to be an obstacle. So there are, there are variables here that we need to discuss a little bit more about, uh, but you know, the bottom line is we wanted to get the best person for the job. If all things are equal, then we should absolutely be choosing from the city of New Bedford first. Thank you, Paul. Uh, same question, Scott. How important is the city's residency requirement when filling up a management position? Sure. Well, I'll start off by answering this question by saying that, like my opponent mentions, he has been in many, many meetings. Well, I've been in scores of meetings. The meetings that I've been in, in have been on people's front porches, in their backyards, when they're getting out of their car, when they're going into the grocery store. So I have an opinion on this that I do many other things. So I haven't been in budget meetings at the city council. That's a top-down approach. My approach is bottom-up. So I've been in scores of meetings, unlike, the, unlike uh, my opponent in, in Ward 5. And this is what I've been hearing as I've been out there door-to-door -door with regard to this particular issue. People want the best qualified candidate. If you only look at New Bedford residents for an upper level position, what you've done is, is you have, you have you've taken your pool of candidates and you've shrunk it, and you've shrunken it down. I'm gonna be hypothetical. Instead of having 100 people in your pool, maybe you, you only have 10. So I'm fully in favor of looking at the best qualified candidate. At some point in time, that candidate should become a resident of the city of New Bedford. But if you're going to only look at residents in New Bedford and you have 10 qualified candidates, as opposed to 100 candidates, Within a, within a pool. Then all things being equal, as my opponent says, I would choose the New Bedford resident. But I would not cut off a pool of candidates that could be 100 people and limit that to 10 based on a simple rule. We need to do what's best for the city. And again, those are the scores of meetings that I've been out talking to residents, not sitting in City Hall, taking a top-down approach, but taking a bottom-up approach. And that's how I come to my decision. Thank you, Scott. And Next, uh, we'll start with Paul on the um, uh, next question. Do you think the perception of crime in New Bedford matches the reality? Why or why not? I think the perception and the reality are about the same now. It used to be about six months ago, eight months ago, the perception and the reality might be a little bit different. But I think most people in the city understand the, the level of crime and, and what's, been, what's been going on lately. Um, I will say that um, being in budget hearings, um, that there's a lot that we can do um, right now as, as a city. Uh, many people don't, aren't, aren't aware of this, but the last year the uh, New Bedford Police Department did not spend their allocated budget, and they did not so by about $400,000, I believe. So there is a lot of money there, even without raising the budget, that we can use for resources, for more police officers, and I think that's very important. Um, I think uh, there are a few things we need to do in the, in, the, in the area of crime, and one is more community policing. So community policing is important, and I'll have to say that the police officers that are out there every day are doing an incredible job. The chief is coming up with some great innovations when it comes to coffee with a cop, uh, high five Fridays, areas that he's reaching out to the community, all wonderful things. Um, I think what we need to do, though, is we need to tap into that money. We need to ensure that it's used every single year because in the end, we don't want public safety money uh, that's left over. We want it fully used. And I think there are ways that we can bring out police, more community policing. Uh, we can bring out some more um, video. And there are other ways starting up the uh, you know, reemergence of uh, neighborhood crime watches. 
I hear about that a lot. So there are ways that we can attack this without even going up on the budget. I think we start there, and I think we get a little aggressive, and we'll see what happens. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Paul. Uh, what about a uh, crime, uh, Scott? We had a double murder a couple weeks ago. Sure. On the other hand, the FBI statistics say that crime is down in many categories. What's the perception and the reality of crime in the investment? Sure. Again, the reality is, is what I'm hearing from residents. Again, not being in budget meetings, but sitting down with residents and talking to them about their budget and their concerns. So um, I think we had an, an eighth murder um, in the city, um, which that's, I mean, that's absolutely horrible. Crime is very, very, very expensive. So again, my, the number one issue that I've run on is crime. That has been my number one issue from day one. Um, I know on WBSM, uh, Barry Richard had talked about it. It was, it was something that I, um, that I shared with folks on Facebook. I thought he was right on point on that. Crime is a big issue. So as I'm sitting down with, with residents, the perception is the reality. They're telling me that. I see that. I read it in the newspaper every day. So what we need to do is, again, I think uh, Chief Cordero is doing an absolutely fantastic job. You know, the FBI statistics. We can get statistics, statistics all day, but when you pick up the newspaper and you read about people getting shot, a gentleman who was sitting in, the, in his house in the North End, I think just off of North Front Street, just sitting in your house minding your business, and there are gangbangers outside shooting at each other, the perception is a reality, and that's something that we need to tackle. And again, that's what I talk to residents about every single day. I, I, again, I've been in scores of those meetings door to door. Thank you, Scott. I Jojo, perception and, and the reality of crime, is there a difference in New Bedford? Yes, I believe crime is up. It's a serious issue. This is one of the uh, issues that stand out as many others in this area. Most of the property crimes committed are fueled by substance problems. I think we need to get somebody out there to start identifying some of the substance problems we have, the homeless problems that we have. And uh, I think we need to also make sure we're giving the proper tools to the police department. One of the things, when you get, as uh, uh, Scott indicated, in talking to the police department, computers that are not even working. I mean, this is absurd. When we don't have uh, public safety up to par with equipment that they need for the everyday use. When I go to the meetings in the community and I have people in those communities talking about problems, whether it be someone breaking windows, breaking into cars. Those are concerns. Concerns of, again, making sure the cameras, that the cameras they're putting up are working and that we got somebody monitoring those cameras. Because one of the times I spoke to someone in the department, they said, we don't watch the cameras all the time. I mean, this is a technology that we're using and many other cities use it, and this is how they pin down some of the criminal activity that's taking place. Crime is very, very important, as I indicated to you, having the elderly, young and old alike, being able to feel as though they can walk the streets in New Bedford. We need to regain that, as the councilor now doesn't care about street lights. Street lights is part of public safety. That's important. I can tell you street lights that have been out for four years that's still not on yet. So to me, I every part of the 
a definition of crime I'm looking to address to work with the police department, the fire department, and the EMS, again, addressing those issues to make sure that they have the proper equipment they need to do their job to the best of their ability every day and to protect their safety. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. This next question will start with Scott. Uh, increased spending on New Bedford schools, particularly the turnaround plans for the troubled schools, has led to some pressure on property taxes in New Bedford. Do you support meeting the state's net school spending amount every year? Net school spending is the amount that the uh, state requires the city to spend on schools. Would you support spending that amount because it hasn't always been met, even if it puts pressure on property taxes? Well, what I think we need, what we need to do with property taxes is what we really need to do is we need to look at um, uh, businesses and getting more businesses here into town. We need to raise revenue. That's just the bottom line. I was meeting with someone the other day who talked about raising revenue at the state level, not necessarily at the local level. And a lot of the money that comes into the schools does come from the state. So I, um, again, I work in the school system. I was there today at Whaling City Academy, right in the, um, in, the, in the administration building. And I can tell you right now, we need to spend money on education. We need, that's our future. That's the investment. When you're talking about economic development, it's just not bricks and mortar. We need to invest in people. And the people that we need to invest in are our students, are the young folks. So I am in favor of that. I am in, I am in favor in, of investing in our schools because when we invest in our schools, we invest in people and we invest in our future. Thank you, Scott. Jojo, uh, net school spending, you, you used to be on the city council. That's the amount the state requires the city to invest in the schools every year. Uh, some years the city hasn't met it. Do you support meeting that even if it puts pressure on property taxes in New Bedford? Well, again, uh, as it was said, uh, it's very important that we get uh, industry here. I look at in the pockets of Ward 4 where there was residential revenue coming in, where we have a lot of vacant lots and trying to create something even better than what the city has done in the vacant lots and see if some of the homeowners will take up some of those lots and this way we get some more tax revenue. But the, the vehicle of this is also having business come into the city. Uh, it's very important that uh, we make the best investment in our children going to the schools because they're tomorrow's leaders. And if we don't show them the right way, some of the things that your question is on, about crime and other things in the city, we're just going to add to that problem. I think it's better off adding to the educational system than to the institutional system. It costs us more money to institutionalize someone than to do prevention measures and educate them and make them somebody that is productive to this city and to this country. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. Paul, uh, we're about the um, net school spending. Uh, the, the city's had a hard time meeting it every year. The state requires it. We're in a turnaround plan. Clearly, property taxes are feeling some pressure. How do you balance that out? Sure. I, I definitely think you need to uh, address net school spending, and, and spending needs to be brought up. Um, as as the, uh, the others have said, you know, this is vital to economic development. Uh, I happen to be in an area where uh, I, I talk to a lot of businesses, and, you know, businesses won't invest in a city if they don't feel that their educational system is, is being supported or being supported enough. We absolutely need to do our net school spending as it is, uh, but we also need to go further and we need to address the issues that the state has right now with um, placing more demands on us with uh, charter schools 
not so much, it's not the charter schools themselves, it's the demands on charter schools and cutting the funding for these charter schools, which is going to make it even more difficult for the city of New Bedford to get their net, net school spending. So that's another area that we have to, we have to deal with. Um, and, and I'll say that one of the biggest issues we do have, or one of the biggest issues of the residents of Ward 5 particularly, because that's, that's who I'm representing, has, because um, unlike you know, uh, what my opponent is trying to insinuate, I'm talking to people every single day in the Ward. We're knocking on doors, just like every other candidate is. We're talking with people. Uh, and one of the biggest concerns we have is kids moving from the elementary school area to the middle school and then up to the high school. Well, I have a child in high school. I have a child at New Bedford High School, and he excels there, and he excels there because of the innovation that New Bedford High School is doing right now because the headmaster um, has done a great job of turning that place around over the last couple of years, but it absolutely needs to continue, and net spending is an, is an important piece to that. Thank you very much, Paul. I have to congratulate all, all of you. you. You're really keeping to the time limits. <laughs> We're getting that. Um, next question. We'll start with uh, Jojo. Uh, do you support Mayor Mitchell's plan to develop part of the municipal golf course as an industrial park? And has the process been public enough? What are your ideas for large-scale economic development? Well, again, it's important, first of all, to have transparency. You know, backroom deals are out. That's over. That's the old boy politics. I feel as though the golf course is a gem. As we talk about economic development, as we talk about crime, as we talk about bringing industry here, those are attractions. And we got to have those various attractions in place. That's what draws people here the education, the recreation, the crime statistics, you know, the uh, affordable housing, uh, the housing stock. Those are all important components, but when, we, when we we're doing something like the golf course, if it was Microsoft and we know we, we're going to have, you know, guaranteed this X many jobs, the possibility of allowing the golf course to go, but that would be the last resort. I mean, we hear about Amazon, and again, I'm glad that the city is entertaining to look for Amazon, but just look at the reality when we look at the number of jobs we look at the pay scale. Overnight, the rents and everything in New Bedford would quadruple. And I want to see the business come here. But I think we have other areas of land that we can develop before we take away the gems that attract people to come to the city that are so important as we talk about for the young and old alike. Thank you. Tosha, could you be specific about what other areas of land? Well, you know, whether it be industrial park, uh, whether it be other areas that we can look at to, to facilitate whatever business is coming. You know, I was in the council <clears throat> when we were looking to make the airport somewhat of an international airport and a regional airport. We missed the boat. Uh, that was a great fuel for the city of New Bedford uh, because of the amount of cargo that goes in and out of this city and again, the tr you know, taking up the uh, uh, the transportation issue which lies in Boston and the surrounding areas. So I want to make sure before we give away our gems, as we lost Morgan and different other things, I want to make sure that we've looked at every possibility of the land source in facilitating whatever business comes here before we give away gems. Thank you. Uh, same question, Paul. Sure. Uh, do you support Mayor Mitchell's proposal to develop part of the municipal golf course as an industrial park 
and have the process been public enough? What are your ideas for large-scale economic development? Sure. So what I'll say is that the proposal itself is still it's it's still its infancy stage. I know there's a lot of talk up talk out there about it being done, but the fact of the matter is there's still testing that needs to be done on, on some of the land. Uh, there's still uh, work to be done on negotiating as far as contracts, what's going to happen with the, uh, the, the infrastructure. So I, I, it's really, it's, the, legis the legislation's not there yet really to, to approve and because of that what I'll say is that I support the concept. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean in the end that it's something I, I will, uh, I'll support because I need to see the final package. Uh, I, do, I do think we need economic development growth, obviously. Um, I, I am aware that there are areas in this city that we have that we could also utilize, but some of those areas aren't conducive for corporate environments or, or thing of manufacturing, things of that nature. So for instance, you have the Shaws on Kings Highway, you have the Building 19 on, on, on Hathaway Boulevard, you have areas like that. Uh, there are a few other areas as well. Uh, some might be conducive for certain types of businesses, but the business park type environments uh, really like to see business park areas. And that being said, with our business park in the far north end almost at full capacity, it's something that we want to entertain as we move forward. We need uh, large-scale economic growth. We need large-scale um, economic and uh, job opportunities. We have more kids graduating now, not only from high school, but from college in this area than we ever have. We need to make sure we can keep some of those kids here. We want them to stay here, raise their families here, because that's, what, that's how New Bedford's going to grow. We need other jobs. Small business is absolutely important, vital to the growth, but so are large creative jobs and corporations and manufacturing. And the more we can entice folks in, uh, the better off we're all going to be as a whole, not only for employment, but for infrastructure issues, for education, in areas of resources for crime. Economic development is absolutely key to the city right now. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Scott, same question. Okay. Do, do you support Mayor Mitchell's proposal to develop part of the municipal golf course as an industrial park? Has the process been public enough? And what are your ideas for large-scale economic development? Sure. Okay, I'll be brief, and I'll give you an answer, because I don't think you got an answer from, the, from my opponent. Number one, I'm old enough to remember when, the, um, when there was going to be a casino over there at the uh, Wheeling City Golf Course. Some people may be aware of that, some may not. That parcel of land has been looked at for a long time for economic development. Again, I've been out there door to door, 462 votes. I've received more votes than any other ward candidate out there. I've been door to door. I've listened to the people, and the people want this. Absolutely, positively, I, I am behind the mayor on this. I don't think that the process, well I know, the process was not public enough, it was not in, in, in the beginning, but I'm not going to get into all of the testing and the soil testing and all that, it's a, it's, a, it's a great idea. Golf is not booming in New Bedford. It may be in places like Wisconsin where I've traveled and I've stayed at, and I've stayed at golf resorts, it's not booming here in New Bedford, not by any stretch of the imagination. So I, am fully, I fully support um, uh, taking uh, land and putting it to good use for economic development bringing jobs to New Bedford, and creating tax revenue so that we can take care of the problems that exist here in the city. And again, that's what I'm hearing door to door as I've gone out and I've spoken to people. And it's also my, my opinion based on economic development. In terms of large-scale economic development, again, I mentioned before, we are a great seaport. We have, um, we have rail infrastructure that needs to be improved, and we have a great highway network. 
So I believe that uh, economic development is very, very, very important. This city is ripe for it, and I absolutely support the, um, the mayor's proposal to develop. Is there a big site besides the um, golf course where economic development could take place? I mean, I'm fully, I'm fully in favor of developing the waterfront. We're having a robust waterfront economic, uh, uh, a robust waterfront um, 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 economy is key. We have it sitting right here um, in the city. So there's a lot of land um, out there. I know that you cannot develop residentially on the waterfront, which is, I think is a great idea. But I think we need to take advantage of our, of our waterfront. You see that all over the world. I've traveled the world. When you have a, when you have a, a waterfront like we do that's protected, we are absolutely positively right for economic development. So there are great parcels over there, the NSTAR site. I mean, there, there's a lot of land over there. Thank you, Scott. And next question, we'll start with Paul. Um, what would you do to encourage and support small business, including ethnic businesses, and businesses just starting to grow? Well, I think, so this is one area that, that uh, one of the reasons why I actually get into the race, and that is, um, I'm the only I'm the only candidate in Ward Five that actually has uh, an employment that concentrates on economic development. And what I've heard uh, from folks inside and outside the city is we're not exactly a, a business friendly environment, um, and small businesses are severely affected by that. Uh, so what we need to do more than anything, um, I think we have we've got a good economic development council, despite what some people think. Um, I think our biggest issue is around permitting, uh, and this is from the people that I talk to all the time, um, that we need, there, there are a couple areas in, in permitting we have to deal with. Number one are when people want to, want to come here, relocate here, build a business here. Uh, number two is when they want to expand. We, we're always looking for small businesses to expand further, uh, but a lot of time permitting gets into the, gets into the way. And I think what we need to do as a city is we need to better address our building department. We need to better understand what we can do to help them, to help the city, and to help the businesses grow and to come into this to, to come into the city. Um, I hear too often how many you know businesses come in and they have a timeline by which they want to open up small businesses that can't really afford three, six month, eight month delays, and that is happening. And so I think what we need to do is address the permitting process, streamline it, streamline it somehow. We need to build the staff within the building department, help them uh, with the resources that they could use, whether it be computers, tablets. I know they've just started with the tablet program, but there are other resources we can give them to help them turn around these small businesses and get them up and running quicker. Thank you, Paul. Next we'll go to Scott. Same question. What are your ideas for assisting? Uh, what would you do to encourage and support small businesses, including ethnic businesses, and businesses just starting to grow? Sure, I heard nothing about eth about ethnic businesses again from my opponent. Um, I heard a whole lot about permitting. <laughs> so what we need to do is, first of all, I've been involved in a lot of uh, um, ethnic programming. Um, outside of New Bedford, so Sabi Festival is something I did when I was on the board of directors at the Boston Center of the Arts. Here in New Bedford, I am specifically on, I serve on the, um, on the Cape Verde Advisory Committee at the New Bedford Whaling Museum. There we turn 300 pages of content, English language content, into perfect Portuguese. Okay, that's how we um, uh, deal with, with with cultural aspects. There's the uh, the Cape Verdean Cultural Center in the North End. I was on the board of directors of the Cape Verdean Association, and I was involved in helping them um, move along with that. Um, there's a board of, I'm on the board of directors of Whale. We do a lot of um, 
a lot of um, work within the Cape Verdean community, something that we're looking at is helping out the folks at the Cape Verdean Cultural Center. What we need to do as a city is, we have a great city, I mean, this is a melting pot. What we need to do is incent folks to come into the city, to open up businesses, and to uh, do things like Izzy's Restaurant is doing. She now has a food truck on Rockdale Avenue. People absolutely love that, absolutely love that. And what she's finding is that she's getting customers who are not only Cape Verdean, but the folks who are non-Cape Verdean. So in terms of permitting and, and, and all that, I, I'm hearing my opponent talk about that, but I haven't heard him mention anything that he has done culturally, and that's something that I've been involved in, and I will welcome these folks to town. I'll help them set up a business. I, I'll do that all day. So in terms of, uh, of, of bringing uh, culture here and small businesses, again, we need to be a business-friendly city, but um, you know, we need to take a more, of a, a more of a macro approach to that, to welcome folks and not get micro and start talking about permitting. People don't want to hear that. They want to know how they can come here and open up a business. And Thank you, Scott. And Jojo, uh, same question for you. What would you do to encourage and support small business, including ethnic businesses, and businesses just starting to grow? Well, you know, uh, when I was in council before, these were some of the areas that I touched on and constantly was knocking on the door. One starting with TIFs, tax increment financing. A permitting situation is, we all have to be on one page. It should be one-stop shopping, should be a punch list, so people are not scrambling. I mean, as you know, I hear, just like I'm going door to door and stopping in businesses in, in my ward and talking to business owners, small business owners, it's ridiculous when someone has to pay rent for a whole year before they can even open up their business because all the, the permit situations and the problems, one department's crossing over another department and so on and so forth. We need to have WBE, SOMBA, MBE, DBE. Those are acronyms of Women uh, Business Enterprise, Minority Business Enterprise, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise. We need to do incubations in helping you know, to uplift a stop. Uh, small business, but I don't think we're there in addressing these concerns that confront small business. Everybody should have the same punch list. It shouldn't be who you know or who you don't know that you are told about tax increment financing. Everybody should be on the same playing field, and we have to be better ambassadors, the people that work for the city, in talking to people who are looking to open up enterprises in the city. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. And last question, in Tomalonis has a question to uh, 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 about opioids. Sure, as you know, we recently published a, a special report on opioids and we co-hosted a forum at the Whaling Museum. So uh, what are your ideas for assisting city residents who are addicted to opioids? And what are your ideas for assisting the police and the emergency medical services for dealing with the opioid crisis? And so who's the start for this one? This uh, for this one, we're starting with Scott. Okay. All right. Very good. This is something that I spoke very eloquently about at the, um, at the senior center at, at, at Buttonwood Park. The opioid addiction crisis is the number one health problem here in the city. Okay. And again, working in the public school system, I see students who are affected by this every day. So we need to help out, from what I can see, three, three groups of people. Those are the folks that are involved in public safety. Those would be your police, fire, EMS personnel, the victims, and those who help them. So in terms of the police, fire, uh, EMS personnel, I'll, I'll throw something out real quickly here. Uh, the EMS personnel in the cushion that we're looking at being able to use non, 
narcotic pain relievers when they're when someone's in their care while they're taking them to, to the hospital. And that's something that on the state levels, uh, something was recently passed, I, I don't know the exact terminology, but something was passed, giving them the option to do that. So these EMS pre folks, they don't want to give someone a, a narcotic drug that's going to help them become addicted. So I want to help all the EMS folks by providing them with the non-narcotic um, uh, options that they have so that we don't have a problem here. In terms of the police, it's working with the police chief, uh, making sure that the police, the police department has the, uh, the intelligence that they need to do to absolutely, you know, to, to get rid of these, these, these drugs before they come into the city. There are those who are addicted. I mean, we need to help these folks out. No one is born wanting to stick a needle in their arm. No one. We need to care for these folks. They're human beings. They're residents. Um, we need to take care of them. There are the folks on the, on the other side. I call them their advocates folks who help take care of these people. And uh, a local minister I, I heard uh, mentioned that um, ch you know, churches may be a, um, a place where people would go to for help. Um, they feel a little more comfortable going there. So I think we need to help out the advocates. So in terms of the police, EMS, giving them the right types of drugs, if you will, that are non-narcotic so that they, they don't help folks get, on, get addicted. The folks who are addicted, I mean, we need to help them. We need to do everything that we can. Um, have centers for them to go to, education for them, and then again, um, their advocates. We need to take care of their advocates. There are people out there who want to take care of these folks. We need to make sure that we take care of them so that they can take care of the people that need help. Okay. Same question for JoJo. Yes, uh, I strongly believe in treatment works in cases of some receiving from overdose by Narcan. I believe that that individual, after four trips or so, I mean, I, I would have to really look at the numbers, that uh, a treatment program that they will be mandated to go to, because it takes away resources. God forbid one of us could be having an emergency of a heart attack or car accident, and the resources, sometimes we have to pull in from the other towns to get the EMS here, and we have some individuals who are constantly uh, overdosing. And I also take, you know, the same approach as I heard about the non-narcotic treatment areas. I was at Whalen Museum uh, for that, that forum, and I, there was a lot of great speakers there, a lot of great things. I mean, when you hear that a child goes to the dentist and they're, and they're prescribed opioids, and, and here's somebody in the medical field, my daughter's not taking that. Some people are not aware of that. I've had situations where I talked to an individual who was uh, addicted, and they happened to go to the dentist about five years later. They were given a prescription drug. Next thing you know, they're off the wagon. In my job, the same thing. We have a 10-year uh, program. If you get caught two years, every day or any time of the week, they can come and check you. The truck pulls right up. But I believe, again, education programs are important. It's starting in preschool and, and showing individuals, you know, by taking drugs, this could happen. We need to address the issues on all levels of where these drugs come from and confront and combat the opioids and the drugs that are reaching our streets and reaching you know, people in our community. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. Well, so what I'll say is uh, that obviously opiates is uh, one of the biggest issues that we are facing of our times. Uh, and it's not just the city of New Bedford, it's not just the state of Massachusetts, it's everywhere. And there's no one single approach. Uh, with that being said, I think there are, there are two different areas that we need to look at. Number one is 
current opiate abuse. And number two is future opiate abuse. Because if we don't start addressing future opiate abuse now, the opiate abuse is just going to continue. And what I mean by addressing future opiate abuse is we need better education in the school systems. We don't need it at the middle school level and we don't need it at the high school level. We need it at the elementary school level. Because by middle school, they're already, they're already inquisitive, they're already looking at it. Uh, we need to get back to the basics of elementary school education and drug resistance. There were many good programs uh, that had either gone away for one reason or another, maybe funding or other reasons that we need to bring back into the elementary school systems. Uh, we need better um, education, better videos. Kids need to understand the consequences and what this means before they even go out and start looking at the issue in middle school. So I think it's absolutely imperative. I cannot say it enough. It's imperative that we start at the elementary school level and we start the education program and we build on it. We make it stronger than what it is now. Addressing current opioid abuse, well, like I said before, we have a $400,000 excess in the, um, in the uh, police department's budget last year. Again, we need to start using some of that money for resources to continue combating the opioid abuse we have right now. I think we need to bring some more resources to our EMS and to our fire department as well because they are all first responders on this. I think it needs to be a priority, uh, and I think it's slowly getting to be a priority, but it needs to continue. Um, as far as the addiction itself, you know, if you're addicted to opiates, you need to seek help. You need to get into rehab services. And that's easier said than done. My wife works in healthcare. Um, she understands the frustration of having to book someone in a rehabilitation center. And whether it be 30 days before they can get them in, or they can only be in there for seven days and then they have to get thrown out, which just isn't enough time, it's frustrating. So there's that issue. That's the number one issue. So. We need better services, we need uh, to reach out, and we need more rehabilitative services. And what I'll say is number two, if you're a drug dealer, you need to go to jail and you need to stay there. And I don't know how else to say it, but we need to work as a city on addressing the issues, whether it be with the governor's council uh, or somewhere else uh, with these judges. And we need to get these people behind bars and they need to stay there for a, a longer period of time because we can't afford to have them out there pushing drugs. All right, I want to thank you all very much. You've done a terrific job. I, I think of, this is the fifth uh, candidates uh, forum we've done, and you guys were the most succinct and very thoughtful and coherent on your answers, and good luck to you all on Election Day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.